Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. Tonight we're continuing our new series, Unfollow, thinking about those leaders who call us to follow them in their misunderstandings of who God is. Last week we talked about those who call us to to moral looseness, who say that God is a God of love and so therefore he doesn't care what we do. And in last week's study, we we saw the problems with that, that, that it misses part of who God is because God is not only a God of love, but he's a God of righteousness. And so he desires to call us away from sin. And so, so yes, he enables us to do it. We can't do it on our own, but he does call us to change, to actually show his work in our lives. Now, the other distortion that goes along with that is the other extreme, which is legalism. And we often see this in leaders who say that we just need to accomplish enough good things to please our God. And they may still talk about the gospel, and they may still talk about how we're saved by faith, and they may talk about grace, but when it really boils down to it, it's about what can we do and how can we follow the letter of the law well enough to please God. And it's important that we are discerning and aware of this sort of distortion because it often can be sort of subtle and we can get wrapped up in it and end up missing out on the gospel and the, and the wonderful joy of the freedom we find in Christ. So let's come before our God and ask that he would help us to balance these two things and not fall into either trap as we look at legalism tonight. Let's pray. Father, we struggle. We we struggle with sometimes just wanting to, to focus on your love and, and missing out that you actually want us to look more and more like you. And on the other hand, we, we, we want to just simplify things by saying, well, if you want us to look more like you, then we just need to accomplish enough things that look like you and, and that will please you. And that will, will bring us into your presence. Lord, in everything we do, would you help us instead to be focused on you and your love, and your calling, and our need for your spirit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have seen a wonderful little story going around recently on the internet, the story of state trooper from Tennessee, Pumpy Tudors. Pumpy Tudors, I'm sure, has done all kinds of wonderful things in his career, but the one that caught the internet's attention, and it's such a neat story, is someone came to him and tipped him off that there was a puppy lying on the side of the road, in need of care. Well, Tudors didn't just go and give this puppy a little care. He went and took everything the dog needed, some water, some shade with an umbrella, and pulled out a chair and sat with the dog until the dog felt safe enough to go with him to animal control where treatment could be provided for whatever ailed the puppy. He he was presumably patrolling the streets for speeders or other sorts of offenders, doing the sorts of things you normally imagine a highway trooper to be doing, and yet here he was, he heard of something that was outside of his calling, outside of the letter of the law, and he saw a chance to show compassion, and he did. If we think about the Christian life, this is a beautiful picture of that, because when we get so focused and bogged down on what are the legal requirements of what we need to do to please God, oftentimes we miss what's right in front of us that's pleasing to God. And Tudors could have done the same thing. He could have been looking at the list of demands from his supervisors and the handbook for state troopers and whatever else might kind of guide him into what his duties are and said, well, providing shade to a scared puppy until he feels safe enough for me to pick her up, that's not in the book, and so I'm not going to do it. And and anyway, it might even get me demerit because in doing that, 
I'm not maybe pulling over a speeder or doing something else that is in the book, and so I might not actually be fulfilling those requirements. But what did he see? He saw his calling was a calling that is for the good of those whom he serves, the, the, the populace of the area, and he extended that to that little puppy, and he rescued that puppy and took him to animal control, or her to animal control, where she could get treatment. And so we see there a picture of what we're called to do too. But the Judaizers, the, the legalists who had arrived in Colossae and arrived at several different New Testament churches, it's a problem we see throughout the New Testament, distorted that. And we get a picture of that in Colossians chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to the festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here's the problem. Paul here is addressing leaders that have come into this town that he's been ministering to, and and those leaders are saying, here's some things that you need to do if you're going to be a part of the people of God. You need to observe these festivals. You need to observe new moons. You need to observe certain Sabbath regulations. In other words, they were calling these Christians who had not been Jewish, they were Gentile believers, to act more like Jews. And they're saying, if you do all these things, and in other words, you start to look more like a Jew, then then God will be pleased with you and he'll let you experience grace and so on. And so what they're doing essentially is putting a toll bridge in front of grace. Yes, if you pass this bridge, yes, you have to pay a toll here, but if you pass over that bridge, then you can get to God's grace. They weren't necessarily denying it entirely, and that's the deceptive part that we see continuing today. But you need to get your life in a certain order before God's going to care about you. And too often, even if we we don't say that explicitly, and if the leaders that we see in churches don't say that explicitly, we act like that. We live it out that way, where we're expecting people, hey, act more like God wants you to act, and then we'll start talking to you about being a part of the church, growing in the faith, and, and what we're doing is we're, we're laying these tolls down on people. We're laying these demands, these legal demands on people. But they're not first coming to believe in Jesus, so they're not receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do the things that God may even want them to do. And sometimes those, those legalistic requirements are things that, in a different context with the help of the Holy Spirit, are actually good and life-giving we talked about those essentially last week. When you think about that God does call us to a morality. But left on their own, they're quite deadening. Now, now these leaders that opposed Paul and were saying that people needed to do these things would often bring up charges against him, saying that he was essentially denying that we should care about God's righteous law. That we should, that in other words, Paul was one of those teachers we were talking about last week. That he was saying, anything goes, it doesn't matter, God's just a God of grace, so sin however you want. That isn't what Paul's saying here. We can see that if we just go on to the next chapter of Colossians, chapter 3. Listen to these words for a moment. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, 
You too once walked when you were living in them, but but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Time and time again, we, we see legalistic leaders who who would be okay with this second part of Paul's instruction. Here's a list of things that you ought to do. But they'd be very uncomfortable with what Paul had been saying in that first part of Colossians that we read, where, where Paul's saying, don't be so concerned with certain observations and trying to please God through them. And you might say, or, and it's a good question, well, what's the difference? How does Paul, on the one hand, say, wait a second here, you're coming up with all these legalistic requirements on what you can eat and what you can drink and and, and when you should be worshiping and all this sort of stuff. And on the other hand, Paul is saying, don't worry about that, but worry about all these things. How, how does that make sense? And and that question there is often why legalistic leaders succeed, because it's nice and straightforward. Yes, yeah, overly demanding. It's hard and, in fact, impossible. We start to actually take everything that God calls us to do and say, okay, I need to complete all these things, all these tasks, and and then God will be pleased with me. And what do we realize? We can't do it. We can do part of it. We take a look at this list and and we say, okay, so I, I'm, I'm not going to have evil desire or covetousness. But then we realize, wait a second, but I'm angry or I slandered someone or I, I, talk, I was talking in a way that wasn't pure and, and well-pleasing to God. And we, we, we realize, well, it's almost there, but now I messed up. And we start to work on that. And then the next thing we know, what do we do? But then we have an impure thought. And, and it starts to become this impossible battle as we try to play the sin game of whack-a-mole, trying to knock down all the moles that keep popping up. And and so we end, on the, we end up on a treadmill. We're not walking to a, a destination. We're on a treadmill where we're just going forward forever, unable to get there on our own. And yet, even though that's true, there's an ease to a legalistic life. There's an appeal to it because it sets very clear standards. Here's exactly where you need to go. Here's exactly what you need to do. And even when we're not there yet, and we won't get there, we can convince ourselves, but I know where I'm going. And sometimes we can even convince ourselves, well, maybe I haven't done all these things. And we kind of grade ourselves on a curve. Okay, I I, I do get a little angry, but but not as angry as other people. So I'm not really getting angry. Yeah, at times I have I speak in ways that are slanderous, but nothing like the world. So I've basically done that. I, I, I really don't have impure thoughts compared to other people. I certainly don't covet like other people covet. And and we start to, to boil these things down. And so we say, okay, I, I'm getting there. And so even though in a sense this, this is a more demanding approach than what, what we're actually called to do in Scripture, it feels in a way easier because we know exactly where we're going. There's just this checklist and we can start checking it off. And we can trust that if we can just accomplish all these things in ourselves, then everything's going to be okay. At least that's what we tell ourselves. That's what legalistic leaders tell us. Just follow these checklist items that I'm giving you. And if you do that, then God will be pleased with you. Then you can be part of of the church and be a thriving member of the body of Christ. And it really comes down to shifting our trust from God to ourselves or to our leaders who say they'll help us go through those steps. 
And in that, we, we're, we're putting our trust in something that can't save us. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. No matter how much we may want to, to, to fulfill the law and to live in a way that's pleasing to God because of it, it's not going to actually accomplish what it says it's going to accomplish by itself and our own power. And part of that is because we simply can't fulfill it right. But even in somehow, if we could start fulfilling it right from now on, we're so far in debt already without God's grace and without his help, we'd never get anywhere. But we feel like we can trust it. Ah, here's a thing. And if I just do this, God's blessing will come. And so we say, that sounds easier. And so in a way, it's sort of a head scratch why people follow legalistic leaders. And yet, I think we desire that concreteness. And so, and so we do. Sort of like a chain letter. I, I was reading this week on the history of chain letters. And does anyone actually like getting chain letters? We don't like getting them. We're probably happy that they don't seem to be around as much as they were a number of years back. And, and yet there's something about them, right? Because they come and they promise something. They promise that, that you're going to get wealthy because you'll send a dollar and you're going to get back $10,000. Or, or you're going to get this or that or the other thing. It's going to be so good if you just send on this letter to all of your soon-to-be former friends. Apparently, one of the very first chain letters, some historians at least think, is a chain letter that claimed to be from Jesus. And it goes back centuries and centuries. A letter that goes back to a King Abgar who allegedly wrote Jesus during Jesus' lifetime. And allegedly, although virtually no one, if anyone at all, thinks that this is, is actually true, received a letter back from Jesus. Uh, responding to his request. And one of the things in that letter as it, it morphed over time, it, something was added to it that said it, anyone who passes along this letter to his or her friends would be blessed. And so suddenly there we had a fictionalized version of Jesus promising blessing if you just passed along his letter. We see the same thing today. There's social media memes that go up that say, if you just pass along this picture of Jesus, you'll be blessed. But if not, you must not be faithful. Things like that. And and most of us, I think, look at that at first blush and think, well, clearly this isn't true. This isn't how God talks. And yet we think, but boy, this feels awfully concrete. Maybe there could be blessing in this. And so maybe I'll hit that share button. Maybe I'll pass along that letter. And apparently for centuries, people passed along various versions of this fictionalized letter from Jesus, thinking maybe they could get that blessing, just as any other chain letter has done. In some, in some sense, if you think about it, it's because there's something that you feel like you can hold on to here. I just do this one thing and blessing comes. And that's what legalistic leaders promise to us. If you just do these things, and, and often it's not everything God calls us to do, but a certain key set of things that leader sees as the great evils of society. If you don't do these things, then you'll be blessed by God. Then you'll be a part of the people of God. And these other people who don't preach enough on that topic or this topic, they're not a part of the people of God. If you only had chapter 3 of Colossians, it would seem like maybe they were on to something. And that brings us back to that question. How can Paul, on the one hand, on chapter 3, say, here's a bunch of things that you shouldn't be doing if you're a Christian. And we talked about that last week as well. But on the other hand, in chapter 2, say, these people are saying, we're going to judge you and cast you out if you 
aren't eating the right foods and drinks and observing the right festivals and so on, how do we bring those two things together? What it comes down to is that matter of trust. Who am I trusting in? Where do I think blessing comes from? How do I think that blessing comes? Is it about how much good I do? Am I trusting in myself and what I can do? Or am I trusting in Jesus and wanting to respond to him? In Galatians, we see a very similar problem. Other, other very similar leaders show up in, in the Galatian church, and they're saying, you have to be circumcised, or you're not going to receive the blessing of God's grace. And so, yes, it's true about grace, but first you need to do this. Again, first you need to do some of God's law, and then he'll like you enough to give you the grace that you need. Then maybe he'll love you. Just need to buy him off a little first. And that's how legalism works time and again. And, and there are so many legalistic teachers today. And, and all of us at some point probably can fall into it, especially when there's a sin that's sort of our hobby horse, one that, that we're bothered by in society. And even without realizing it, we start to turn that into something. Yes, God's grace covers everything else except this one thing. Now, this thing you better take care of before you become a Christian. And see, notice what's happening here. Paul here isn't at any point saying, do things that are displeasing to God. Do things that are sinful. But rather, he's calling us to understand that there's going to be, one, points of disagreement. That's part of what he's dealing with here. But two, it's a matter of trust. These people, for example, are saying you have to observe these festivals, from presumably from the Old Testament, before you're part of God's people, are saying you have to measure up first. You have to have everything in order first. But that's not how Jesus worked. And that's not how any of his apostles worked. It's not how we're called to work. Here's the problem. When, when, we're, when we're falling into that legalistic mold, what we're trying to do is say, can I stay within the lines? Here's a box, and if I can stay within this box of, of morality, then I'm going to be okay, and, and God's going to give me a blessing. Things are going to be okay. And it comes back to that chain letter, essentially. I'm just going to take this box, fill it up, and mail it off to my friends, and I'll call them to, to fill up that box too, and they'll mail it off, and each of us will get succeeding blessing. But it doesn't work any better than any other chain letter. Here's what we're called to do, and here's what Paul's talking about here, and comes to it time and again. What we're called to do is to want to please God, the God who's already given us grace, the God who's already called us his. And I think that's why it comes down to a matter of idolatry. And we see this even as he's listing the different sins in verse 5. Notice what he says it is, ultimately, is idolatry. We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping our various sinful desires. And in that, we're not actually focused on the one we're supposed to worship, even as we're allegedly doing things that are pleasing to him. Have you ever had someone who comes to you, maybe an old friend you haven't talked to in a long time, and, and you get a phone call or an email, and, and the friend's asking about what's going on in your life and how things are going and, and what you might be up to and, and and seeming really interested and maybe promising to come do stuff that you've been trying to get this friend to do for years. And you think, where did this come from? We've probably all had this experience, and, and you know what's coming next because at some point, long into the conversation, at some point the friend is going to say, by the way, could you help me out with blank? Would you give me some money? Would you write a letter of recommendation for me? 
Would you do this, that, or the other thing? Would you come and dog sit for me? Whatever it might be. And suddenly we realized all that alleged kindness that was going on, that, that wasn't really because there was any friendship there, or at least it wasn't primarily. It was all to get to that favor in mind. And when we're approaching God in a legalistic way, that's essentially what we're doing. We're, we're trying to heap things that God says he wants in front of him in our lives. And what we're really saying is, by the way, how much of this do I have to do before you're going to be willing to do a favor for me? And that's not any more pleasing to God than it's pleasing to us when our friends do that to us. As these people are saying, well, to, to really please God, you have to worship and, and uh, do these festivals and eat certain foods and so on. What they're doing is they're not saying we want to please God. They're saying we want to know what checklist things we need to do in order for God to say that we fulfilled what he demands. And we can still fall on that today. We can even come down to worship today. Why are you attending worship if you go to a church service? Are you attending it because you're afraid that God might not give you a blessing if you don't show up? Or are you attending because you are so in awe of what God's doing in your life that you want to, to praise him and you want to be with fellow believers and experience encouragement together as the family of God? If we're truthful with ourselves, we can alternate back and forth there. Sometimes it's out of guilt. Oh, what's God going to think if I don't show up? And sometimes it really is because we want to be there. But may we move from that guilt to coming because we want to please God. We want to be there with him in his presence in corporate worship. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Same thing. We can turn it into a legalistic thing. Oh, maybe if I read the Bible enough, then God will start to bless me or, or he'll hear, hear my prayers or he'll take care of my sick family member. Are we doing that? Are we saying, God, I want to, I want to commune with you. I want to understand more of who you are and your promises and your love. And that's why I'm reading your word. Which one are we falling into? Scripture says that when we find people that are saying, just do these things and then God will accept you, that we should flee such leaders. That's an unhealthy follow. That's something that we should unfollow right away. Not because necessarily even all the things are bad. Should we live a, a life of purity? Should we live a life reading God's word? Should we show up for church? Yeah, we should do those things. But we need to do them because we're trusting in God and, and we're trusting in his promises. And because of his promises, we want to be more like him and, and to do things that, that bring joy to our Lord, not, not because we're trying to earn something from him. The problem is whether we fall into the trap of last week of trying to be morally lax because we're claiming God is so gracious and so we somehow have a higher understanding of his grace, or we're falling into this legalistic trap, both of them are really about feeding our self-benefit and elevating ourselves. It's about either getting to do what we want right now because God doesn't care anyway, or somehow earning more favor from him because we're abstaining from things. It's about being able to say to others, look at me, I, I am now achieving righteousness. Why aren't you doing it yet? And that's what many of these leaders in the New Testament time and the leaders that we see today who fall into the legalistic trap do. Look at me, I'm righteous. Why aren't you righteous like me? And, and so we see it's not really ultimately then about holiness because holiness is certainly not something where we, we beat other people down or we slander them or speak poorly of them. Holiness is showing God's love and desiring to be more like him. No, it's not about holiness. It's about appearing holy, and that's a much worse thing. It's just a shadow of it. Paul addresses this in Romans 14. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one observes the day, 
observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For let, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. God calls us to do everything for him and for his glory. And what does he call us to do in addition to, to loving him? What, what comes out of that love of him? It, it comes out in love for those whom he loves, which is a part of loving God. Those are the two things that flow there. And when we actually start to move away from, here's a checklist of what I need to do, to here is responding to God in love, wonderful things happen. Just like Officer Pumpy Tudors, as he went and, and took care of that little sick dog, what did he find? Well, he found a, a new dog for his family. The happy end of the story isn't that he just dropped this puppy off to get treatment. He and his family are now adopting Princess as their dog. He showed love that, that wasn't needed, compassion that wasn't needed by the letter of the law, and in that, now he has this wonderful relationship with this dog. And so, too, as we, we respond to God in love, we're experiencing a, a deeper relationship with him. And as we show love to other people, including compassion as they're struggling through sin, not beating them down, but helping them to move towards righteousness, helping each other to move towards righteousness, we see something that could never happen with legalism. Because legalism would miss all that. Legalism might build a following. You might see people following after this person because he offers a very clear set of things to do, but it tears down. But when we follow the Lord in love, what do we see? We see a goodness that builds up relationships, relation, a relationship with him and a relationship amongst the body of Christ. We're called to be driven by love and not by checklists. And when we do, just as that officer gets to experience the, the joy of his new dog, Princess. So too, we get to experience joy. The joy of the Lord and the joy of being with the Lord's people. May that be what you and I experience today. Let's pray. Father, too often we, we chase after the wrong things, but may we chase after you. May we have a heart like yours that we show love to others as well. And in all this, Lord, while you call us to righteousness, may we do it not so we can fulfill a checklist or send off a chain letter and get back blessing, but, but rather because we want to respond to the amazing blessing of your grace that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If this has encouraged you or you know it would encourage someone else that maybe is struggling with how to reconcile God's righteousness with his love, I'd encourage you, please do give this a like and a share. You can help someone hear about a God who calls us, yes, to righteousness, but righteousness out of love and not out of legalistic requirement. Some of what we've been talking about about these leaders the last two weeks show up in the third category of leader we're looking at in this series, which is selfish leadership. And we see that both in legalistic and morally lax leadership. So I hope next week you'll join us once again at 7 p.m. I'd love to dig in together with you as we look at God's word thinking about that. Meanwhile, on Sunday, I do encourage you to join us for in-person worship at 5.30 p.m. as we're going to be looking at the strength we find in God. That's right key to what we've been talking about tonight. I hope that you'll join us for that. And if there's any way that we can be 
encouraging each other this week, feel free to leave a comment in the comments below how we can pray for you. Or if you'd like to write me, you're always welcome to send me an email at the email address on screen. It's a blessing to hear from you. Hope you have a wonderful week. and I can't wait to see you again soon.